Welcome to the Social Dallas Podcast. Today you will hear an uplifting message. Our hope is that your relationship with God would flourish like never before. Well, I'm sure you know by now your pastor's not here. <laughs> so don't, don't be like, dang. You know, I would be the same way. But, 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 but just give me 30 minutes. I'll get out of your way, all right? And, uh, and we'll let you go. Robert and I are first cousins. I love him dearly. His beautiful wife, his mother and my father, brothers and sisters. And uh, my Aunt Sally is here. My cousins are here. And you guys have an amazing church. And uh, to see what God has done for you in such a short period of time tells you why you have a tax against your church and a tax in your personal life because of what you're doing in the kingdom of God. You're disrupting hell. You're bankrupting hell. You're making Satan mad to see the generation change their heart towards God. And you're an amazing church and you ought to be glad about it. I want to go to the book of 1 Samuel, I believe. Or maybe 2 Samuel. Yeah, 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9 in the NIV version. Do y'all have it? No? Okay. Do you have it now? Like, we brought it to you. Like, say yes. Like, do you have it? Okay. All right. This is 13 verses. This is enough reading for the week. Okay. 13 verses. I want to read. There's a couple of names in there that are long, so if I mess them up, don't laugh. Just act like I said it right, because you don't know it either, okay? All right? We're going to go to 2 Samuel chapter 9, 13 verses. David asks, is there anyone left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's in a household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, are you Ziba at your service? He replied, the king asks, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, there is still a son, Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asks. Ziba answered, he is at the house of Makar, son of Amiel in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar from the house of Makar, son of Amiel, when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat my table, eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to form the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth's grandson of your master will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, 
your servant will do whatever my lord, the king, commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. Say amen for the reading of the word. I was reading it pretty good. I thought y'all at least clap for me because I, I sounded like the Bible. Yeah. And I wish they would do that with the Bible. You know how the Bible app, it just reads perfect. Somebody need to mess up every now and then. You know? But I want to look at this group of scriptures, 2 Samuel 9, 1 through 13, and I want to talk from a simple subject. It simply means working with left. Everybody shout that out. Working with left. Now, I told the first service, I love exercise. I, I had stopped for about six months and uh, quit. And I went to Harold's Ch Henderson's Chicken. I went to Henderson's Chicken and got a full piece with some fries, pickles in, in the basket, and a, a soda. I'm not from here, so I ate that chicken. That chicken was so good to my soul. I went from Henderson's to Fluffy's. I went from Fluffy's to Golden Chick. I went from, go somebody like Golden Chick. They got some bad, wicked wings if you've never been there before. Went to, the, to that place, got the wicked wings. What's the name of the one that's red and yellow? Y'all don't eat chicken at social? Never mind. I went to Williams. I went to Popeye's. Then I messed around and went to Rudy's. I went to Rudy's and then I just kept going to Rudy's. But for like two months, I ate chicken every day. That's so unhealthy. Every single day. And my body blew up like a turkey. So I said, you know what? I can't keep doing this. I can't wear my clothes. I got to get back on the treadmill. I have in my house, I have my own gym. I have uh, this Peloton bike and the Peloton uh, 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 treadmill and then all the weights. So I jumped on the, on the uh, treadmill and I knew I couldn't just get back to where I was doing it. So I started walking, power walk. Y'all know what I'm talking about. They raised that incline up and I was walking. So I sped it up and I was walking. Well, then it was pretty good. But then I moved to the walk jog. I got to the walk jog and it was a 30 minute, 45 minute walk jog. About 10 to 15 minutes in and I was killing it. 17, 18, 19, 20, I had to ask myself, Am I going to keep going because this thing is starting to hurt me? Now, I do this for a living. So it was hurting me. So I kept going. And then I got to where I had gotten up about 30 minutes and I was done. And at that moment, in my mind, I said, it's over. I'm not going to keep going. But something that was stuck in me, the old athlete in me, says, you better not quit. What is wrong with you? Keep on, keep going. Keep going, keep going. Then I started thinking about how I was looking in my clothes and how bad I looked. And then I had this look that I don't want to look like that anymore. It was the thought that was left in my mind. I wasn't thinking about my health. I wanted to be fine. <laughs> I'm just keeping it real. I wasn't thinking about the cholesterol. I was thinking about, I want to be tight. So it was the thought that was in my mind 
that was left in my mind that made me keep going. That's an interesting, simple thing when it comes to a bike and a treadmill. But when it comes to your walk with God, and if it comes with your relationships with people that you really love that you're struggling with, it's the thought that's left in your mind that can easily stir you positively or can move you negatively. And you have to ask yourself, what's still in my head? What's still left in there that could possibly prod me and move me in a certain direction? Because the thought that lasts will be the thought that empowers you to do whatever it is that you want to do. So you've got to make sure you have a thought that's what? Left. Everybody say left in your mind. Now, most people associate triggered thoughts with anxiety and with uh, depression because there's certain things that trigger you to make you do certain things. Positive psychologists think the same thing, that there are certain music, there are certain readings, certain pictures, certain thoughts that will cause you or provoke you to move positively. What is the same thing that happens in the Word of God? Because the Word tells you Whatsoever man thinketh, how man thinketh, how he thinketh, how he thinketh, how he thinketh, how he thinketh in his heart. So we have to learn how what's left in my heart. That's why relationships are critical because if they actually leave you for a particular season, what's left in there? If something is left in there, then it will control how you behave towards them. If you've learned how to move beyond what was left in there and become positive, then them there are gone doesn't change how you move or your mode of behavior. But biblically also, the Bible tells you whatsoever things that are pure, whatsoever things that are just, whatsoever things that are of good report, the Bible tells you think on those things because he wants you to learn how scripturally to set your affections. If you learn how to set your affections, nobody else can preset them for you. You don't have to go into a relationship or into a business partnership and, uh, and wait on them to set the temperature. You're already set because you did your devotion, you did your reading, you did your prayer, and your pre-work has you ready for the work. I want you to look at somebody next to you and tell them I did my pre-work before I got here. Yeah. yeah, see, I didn't need the praise and worship team to lead me in. I didn't need the music to take me in. I don't need the preacher to take me in. Tell somebody I came in ready. Oh, I wish I had a church at social that would give him glory. I came in giving him glory. You don't know what I survived all week, the hell that I went through, the stuff that I had to say bye to. I don't need nobody high-fiving me for me to praise him. Me being here is enough by itself. Somebody shout hallelujah. It's the thought that's left. And it's that thought that's positioned to lead you out. Now, Israel did it. Israel did it with the Passover. With the Passover, all Israel did was says, we're going to remember how God brought us up out of Egypt. So they still celebrated. At Gethsemane, when Jesus is getting ready to die at Calvary, he goes to Gethsemane, and what does he do? He prays. He asks the disciple, y'all stay with me, stay awake, because I need to go talk to God. But then while he's talking to God, he says, hey, man, let this cup pass me. I don't want to die. But then Jesus, God, comes back and says, yo, it's not your will, it's mine. Jesus walks away with a thought that was left in his spirit, left in his mind. And that thought was, it's not my will, it's his will. 
Jesus did it again with the, with the disciples uh, with the Passover meal that he's celebrating, the same thing from uh, uh, the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. And you and I call it the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper, where we do this in remembrance of him. The Lord's Supper has nothing to do with you and I. It has everything to do with the fact that he looked over us and he took care of us and he passed over us and kept us. So that celebration is teaching us how to guard our mind and set our mind so that the things of this world don't choke out what we're trying to do for Christ. Are you still here with me? So the thought that's left is the thought that's positioned to lead. And so when you take a look at those thoughts that are left, if that thought, if that thought itself has the power to last with you, then that tells you what you have left is enough to get the job done. If you have a thought that will stick with you through the rain, a thought that will stick with you through the storms, a thought that will stick with you through the roughest season of your life, if you have that, and it is positive, then you have enough ammunition to kick hell's front door down and become everything that God called you to be because you have enough left. Have I got a witness today? Somebody shout out. My God, I don't know if we have enough battery left. Amen. <laughs> David in this text is the king. Okay? David is the king. And you see him coming into this town. David knows what it means to be left. He knows how to work from left. Because when Samuel came to anoint the next king, when he went to Jesse's house, who is David's dad, he went there to pour the oil on one of the sons. But the dad didn't call David back there. He called all the other brothers. He was left out. And Samuel says, no, the oil's not flowing on anybody else, so there must be another one. So they call him, the anointing is on his life. The anointing is on his life to be king, but he never becomes king till several years later. That simply means it takes time for God to get you ready for what he's promised you for. So then you take a look at this now, Saul, who was the previous king. In the scripture, you heard the term, the house of Saul. Whenever you hear the house of, it's talking about a dynasty. So you had the house of Saul, and then you had the house of David. Samuel talks about that, and that's the book that we're reading. Samuel talks about the house of David was growing stronger while the house of Saul was growing weaker. Saul was jealous of David. David was a young, amazing, handsome warrior. And this Saul, was, it was time for him to be over. His thing was over but he was still in position. And that's one of the worst places to be, to still be in position and it's over for you. So here we are, he's in position, it's over. David's coming up, now David becomes king in the text. While David is king, David is having to correct all of the misgoverning that Saul had done for years. So in this text, when you see him arriving, there's an issue. David and Jonathan, Jonathan, is Saul's son. David and Jonathan had an amazing relationship. They were super duper close. And in 1 Samuel chapter 19, you'll read there where the two of them cut covenant. Everybody shout, cut covenant. <laughs> covenant is an agreement between two people. It's a contract. The two of them cut covenant and they came together and Jonathan said, listen, no matter how successful you are when you become king, do not, don't cease 
to show unfailing kindness to my people or my bloodline. They cut covenant. Now the issue with cutting covenant is you always cut covenant before you need the covenant. You don't cut covenant after you've been cut. You need the covenant for the cutting. You need people that will walk with you through this life that will help patch up your wounds. And you don't need people who will open up the wounds because I know you were wrong and I know what you did. You need people to say, I know what you did, but I'm gonna stitch you back up. And we're gonna go to counseling and we're gonna get this right because I'm not gonna leave you because of what you did. But I'm gonna sew you back up because we cut covenant and I'm not going to cease to give you unfailing kindness. Now, what is this deal about unfailing kindness? Unfailing kindness is what the covenant was called. Now, when David shows up in chapter nine, David shows up looking for fulfillment of this covenant. And that fulfillment is, is there anyone still left alive of the house of Saul? So he goes looking. He's not necessarily looking for Mephibosheth. He's just looking for the bloodline. And that's the same thing Jesus is doing with you. He's looking for the bloodline. He wants to know how many of you are covered in my blood. How many of you are covered in the blood of Jesus? Because that's who I'm after. He's looking for the bloodline. Somebody shout, I'm in the bloodline. I'm in the bloodline. Now, he shows up. Is there anyone left still in the bloodline of Jonathan? Watch what David says. If you don't write down anything, write this down. David says, I'm looking for somebody in the house of Saul that I can share God's kindness with. Look at what he says. David did not say, I'm looking for someone I can share my kindness with. I'm looking for someone that I can be nice to. He says, I'm looking for someone that I can share God's kindness to. That takes kindness to a whole nother level. Because now we're talking about a kindness that supersedes your opinion. We're talking about a kindness that is not prejudice. We're talking about a kindness that doesn't look at color. We're talking about a kindness that doesn't look at a tax bracket. We're talking about kindness that does not care about your past. We're talking about a kindness that doesn't say, I don't care if you're saved or unsaved because God's kindness supersedes your situation. And God doesn't need you to have a prerequisite for his kindness. And we know that to be true because he's been kind to you. And he know everything about you that don't nobody know. And he was kind to allow you to wake up this morning. Kind to give you a job. And kind to give you a spouse. And kind to move you into a beautiful home. Tell somebody, he's kind to me. Oh, shout that thing out. Tell him, he's kind to me. So he says, I want to give God's kindness. So he shows up with God's kindness. God's kindness goes to enemies. God's kindness goes to people that betray him. God's kindness goes to people who backstab him. God's kindness, kindness is the fruit of the spirit. So he doesn't need you to show your kindness and that's probably part of the reasons why we're not that kind. Because you're only gonna issue out the kindness based on a level of reciprocity. I don't know you. You don't know me. You'll do the church thing. But God's kindness is more than a wave. Yeah, 
God's kindness is more than a, God's kindness is more than a, we'll see you next week, baby. God's kindness makes you get into it with them, makes you get into the situation with them. God's kindness calls you to submerge yourself. And if you have God's kindness, the people that are not of God will talk you out of using God's kindness. That's why your circle is critical because if you got a circle of people that are carnal, they will tell you not to use God's kindness. God's kindness and carnality don't mix together. You'll tell me, what have they done for me lately? Nothing. Well, why are you so kind? Why are you giving them gas money? Why are you paying their bill? Why are you doing that? It's got nothing to do with me. God wants to use you, somebody say me, me, as a conduit of kindness. That's all he wants to use you as. I want to use you to flow my kindness through. That's how we change the world. So when people see you coming, she is so kind. Baby, it's not me. It's the Christ that lives within me. And so every time people see you, you should bleed the kindness of God. Every time you blink the kindness of God. Every time you say something, the kindness of God. Somebody said, I'm kind. It hurt about 400 of you to say you're kind. Come on, shout it out, I'm kind, I'm kind, I'm kind. It hurt me, I ain't gonna lie, sometimes I don't wanna be, I'm kind. You gotta learn how to use God's kindness. Now this is critical because he wants you to use him or use his kindness as your ammunition. But the problem that I had with this old text was Mephibosheth, who is Jonathan's son, he was dropped by his nurse. All right, so he's dropped by his nurse at the age of five. He was dropped because Jonathan, the son of Saul, and Saul, that's his dad, they were in a fight with the Philistines in Mount Gilboa. And while they were fighting, they got the best of them. And so Saul tells his servant, kill me. Because if the Philistines get their hands on me, they're going to do something really, really bad to me. The servant says, I can't kill you. So what Saul does is he takes the sword and he falls on it. He kills himself. Well, when his other sons, including Jonathan, see him do that, they do the same thing. All of them fall on the sword and die. When the word got back to the caretaker, who is Mephibosheth's babysitter or nurse. The Bible says that she fled. She was fleeing for her life. It says when they got the message. Well, the message was more than that he just fell on the knife. The message was that he fell on the knife, the Philistines came, got him, cut his head off, cut his feet off, cut his hands off, and then hung his body up. So that message came to them. So she picks up the boy, she takes off running, they're five years, he's five years old, in the process of fleeing, he falls and becomes lame. He falls and he becomes lame. Now, this is five years old. David doesn't come knocking on the door until 18 years later. I'm trying to figure out how long do it take for God's kindness to find his way to my address? I ain't the only one in here, y'all don't act like that. 
You, now, I'm going the other way now. You know, you're in church, you're paying your tithes, you're giving God glory, you're in here singing, you're ushering, you're on the camera, you're here on the prayer team, you're here early, you're breaking down, you're setting up, you're being kind. Where's the kindness at? Have anybody ever been there before? I need God's kindness. I'm looking for God's kindness. God's kindness. And I, 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 I ain't know where to be found. 18 years later, I said, I asked the scriptures, why? Why you so long? Why take you so long to come? Read it. Why take you so long? The scriptures spoke back. The scripture said, did you read? Yeah, I read it. It said that David was in war after war after war after war. He was in war after war after war trying to correct what Saul had messed up. What looks like neglect from one view is really concentration on another side. You're mad because he's not answering, but God's trying to clean things up for you because if he doesn't clean it up, if he comes to get you too early, you will be swept up from the same thing that killed your parents. So God will raise up a woman of God. He'll raise up a man of God that has the weaponry, the skill to handle what you can't handle on your own. And it took 18 years to get David's mind to understand you're enough. What you have is enough. Who you are is enough. Because what you don't understand, you're over here praying because you don't think you have enough. But the person God is calling is over here saying the same thing. I don't have enough. I can't do the job. And God's trying to fix him for you. So whenever God has a situation, he has a man or a woman that he fixes for the situation. We know that to be true because the children of Israel were trying to get out of Egypt for years. But he had to work on Moses. Moses had to learn how to get out of his own way. Moses had to go see God in a burning bush. Moses had to stand on holy ground. Moses had to learn how to deal with sheep before he could deal with people. Moses had to understand that sheep stink. Moses understand that one will get lost and he learned everything with the sheep so he could apply everything to the people. It's the same thing that happens for you, that God's working on the situation for you and he has to clear it out so that when you come out, you ain't never going back. Glory to God. I wish I had a witness. I wish I had a real witness. Look over and tell somebody, I ain't never going back. I know ain't ain't a good word, but that's what we're using today. Tell them, I ain't never going back. Never going back. So we have to look at the reality. Look at the reality. The first thing we're going to look at is the reality. The truth. That's what reality is. Let's examine the truth. The truth is, I got left. It doesn't feel good to be left. But Mephibosheth's left is a different type of left. He has no parents. He has no role model. There is no Father's Day. There is no Mother's Day. There is no teach me how to do it 
There's none of that. There is not even closure. There's no goodbye. It just happened. And I want to park there because some of you haven't been able to move forward because you believe you have to have closure. And let me tell you something. There's enough in you to keep going. If you don't ever get to say bye, there's enough left in you to keep you pushing towards what God's trying to do. And I want to sit that in your spirit because you hadn't been able to kick down the door with all of your might. You've been tapping at it because a piece of you left when they left. But you got to understand if something is still stuck in you, then that means you got enough tenacity and enough resilience to pull yourself up on your feet and come out of the circumstance with power and come out of the circumstance understanding that you realize that life still flows through ups and downs and there's no down that will keep you buried. Have I got a witness here? There was no down that will keep you down. So we're in this predicament where he's showing up and the reality is I'm left. Not only am I left, I'm left lame by an accident. The accident piece bothers me, but it doesn't bother me. It's a conundrum because if she doesn't carry him out of there, they die. Hands down. But she does. But she carries him out of there and it's a life-altering transport. On my way out, damaged. On my way out, crippled. On my way out, handicapped. It's one thing to leave me, but it's another thing to leave me broken. It's one thing to leave me, it's another thing to leave me snapped into a place that cannot be fixed. And that's where he is. There was an accident that he did not cause. How do I move forward when the person that broke me is still with me? And how do I move forward knowing it was an accident, but did nothing happen to you? Everything happened to me. And the Bible says he's lame and not just lame in one foot, he's lame in both feet. That means his body in the lower half has atrophied. He looks like two different people, little down low and big up top, two complete different beings. And now he's stuck in a place called low D-bar. Low stands for no, D-bar stands for thing. If you put them together, what does it mean? He's in a place of nothing. It's also called no communication. So he's in a place of nothing that has no communication but God's kindness is looking for him. He's in a place of nothing with no closure, with no communication. I don't know who in this room would be honest and say you ever been there before. But I've been there. I've been in nothing. And that's one of the worst places to be. Let me tell you why. Because it's all in your head. See, I can fight an enemy that I can see. But when nothing has me, everybody thinks you're crazy. And everybody thinks you ought to be able to pick up and move on because they can't see what you're fighting. And they don't understand. You have had the trouble. The trouble is over. But trouble left trauma. 
And now with all this trauma, you're trying to figure out how do I navigate into my next season? And trauma won't let you go. You gotta go to counseling for trauma. You gotta have people to help you through trauma. The trauma will snag you. It will show up in your relationships, with your children, with your spouses. Trauma doesn't want to go anywhere, but tell somebody God's kindness is looking for me. God's kindness is looking for me. God's kindness is looking for me. And that's what you gotta have in your mind when you find yourself in a fight with nothing. Lord, am I crazy? Everybody's telling me they don't even understand it. I don't see nothing. I don't hear nothing. And all of your circle only sees your condition. But it's bigger than your condition. Because you see your future. You see what you should have been. You see what you don't even have the opportunity to become. You see what's out of the question. You've marked yourself. Now you're doubting God in certain places. But God's kindness is looking for you. God's kindness is looking for you. God's kindness is looking for you. God's kindness is pursuing you. God's kindness says, I don't care where you're laying. God's kindness says, I don't care if your marriage is broken. God's kindness says, I don't care what you've been through. God's kindness says, I don't care if you've been to the penitentiary. God's kindness says, I don't care what they're saying about you. I don't even care if the rumors are true. God's kindness is pursuing you. Look at somebody and tell them, it's coming after you. It's coming after you. It's coming after you. It's coming after you. They don't want to tell you. Turn them loose and find somebody else and tell them it's coming after you. Encourage them. It's coming after you. It's coming after you. It's coming after you. It's coming after you. He's not stopping until he gets a hold of you. God's kindness is looking for you. See, I could get it if it was yours because if it was yours, you would say, I ain't giving it to you, but it ain't yours. It's his. And maybe that's why he's not using you because he knows you're not going to use it. But God will use somebody else to bring me what's his because what's his is mine. Wish I had a witness in here. Oh, somebody shout hallelujah. Oh, my God. So here we are. The accident, the reality, the obscurity. The obscurity is, is I'm, in a, I'm in a place that I don't understand. Obscurity means murky, in a murky place. And this doesn't make sense to me. But the interesting thing to me is that when we read Mephibosheth's story, you don't see anything really about how he lived his life. So when we preach the text, we always teach the text from a place of pain, and from a place where we're going after everything and we're stuck lame at the bottom. But what I realized in this text, he had a baby in Lodabar. He was having sex. Well, y'all don't have sex? Married people? Lord help us. Are you single ones having sex too? Don't sit up and look at me. Oh my God, I can't believe he had said sex in the service. Y'all good now? This man is lame having sex. This is the wrong church. I don't want you to picture it in your mind. But think about it. You don't have to picture it just, you know, for a split second. He's lame in both feet. That means that Mephibosheth got game. 
You gotta have game to pull a woman in no legs. I don't care. I don't, I don't care. I don't, I don't, I, y'all can sit there and act like you don't. Uh, he's just straight up rolled up on somebody. <laughs> Say, yo, I'm, in, I'm up here in Lodabar. I'm really a prince. I know I don't look like it, but I want you to know I got the bloodline. I'm royal. Come roll with your boy. Come on. I wish I had somebody in here. His game was so tight, he had a baby named Micah. Are y'all all right now? All I'm saying is he learned how to live in Lodabar. He didn't let Lodabar break him. He didn't let not having a job or, or, or not being where he wanted to be or watching nothing happen in his life, not being able to elevate. He didn't let that stop him. Some of you right now, you have stopped your pursuit because what you were looking for hasn't happened in five years, haven't happened in seven years. I've been doing this all my life, Pastor Joel, and it hasn't happened yet. 18 years that he waited in his condition and he said, I'm not waiting on nothing. This man started a family. This man began to do whatever it was that he needed to do and the whole time he was doing it, Kindness was looking for him. All I'm trying to tell you, you got to do what you got to do no matter what it looks like. Watch it. David comes. David says, Mephibosheth. He said, man, why, why are you looking at me like I'm, I'm a dead dog? Why me? He says, I came to show you kindness, the Lord's kindness. Watch what he tells him. From this day, I'm going to pull you out of Lodabar, and I'm going to bring you to Jerusalem with me. This is the king. The king says, you're going to have a seat at my table, not the servants. You're going to eat with my sons because you're royal. Watch this. At the table, nobody knows he's lame because he's covered by the cloth. That's why God's trying to invite you because he wants to cover you. And you know what? Mephibosheth never gets healed, but he came out of Lodabar. He came out of the place his feet were still lame, but God moved him from Lodabar into Jerusalem. All I'm trying to tell you, even if God don't heal it, that don't mean it can stop you. God will move you with your situation and you will live through it. And people will say, Did, I thought you had cancer. They say I do, but I'm still here. I thought your husband left you. He did, but I'm still here. I thought you lost your job and I ain't missed a payment on nothing yet. Because God has a way of inviting you into his palace and he'll take his thing and cover your thing and have you ready for your future. If you believe God's getting ready to have you work with less, you're gonna learn how to work with what you have left. I want you to get on your feet and I want you to clap your hands and I want you to shout unto God because what you have in you is enough to make it happen. What you have in you is enough to change your family. It's enough to change your tax bracket. It's enough to lift you up from where you are and take you into a destiny.
that you've never seen before. We would like to thank you for being a part of our social global family. Please head to our website, socialdallas.online, and see the many ways you can stay connected with us from around the world. Thank you.